Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And, I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, let us begin with a moment of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have recorded for us the words that Jesus spoke, the things that he did. And not only that, that your spirit is at work as we listen to it, read it, have it preached to us. Lord, we need your spirit to give us ears to hear. That your word may have its full work in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing in John's Gospel, chapter 14. And if you remember uh, last week, if you were here or if you weren't here, I'll give you a little bit of a recap. It was this beginning scene as Jesus is ending this time at the Last Supper with his disciples. And he is uh, trying to comfort them before the things that are about to happen. The beginning of chapter 14, it starts with this phrase, Let not your hearts be troubled. And of course, we hear that in our passage today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Jesus is telling these words to people who are very concerned that Jesus says he is leaving them. They have troubled hearts. They don't know what to expect. They don't want Jesus to leave. But Jesus told them in our last passage and in our passage today that it's actually better for them if he leaves. Because he is going to be with the Father, and that when he goes to the Father, they will receive a helper. 
the Holy Spirit. They will live a life that is unlike the life they are living. They think it is better to have Jesus physically present with them, but Jesus says no. I wonder how often we would think it would be better if Jesus was here with us. Would it not be better if Jesus was the one standing up front teaching us today? I sure think so. And yet, Jesus tells us our lives are better lived by his Holy Spirit being poured out on us, living within us. It's a bold proclamation to make. It's one that we don't often feel to be true in our lives. But when Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a helper, that's kind of a translation of a word that we just don't have in English. And it's another one that's like me. It's not a different thing or just this lesser thing. It's another helper, another one like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Fully God, like Christ was fully God, like the Father, fully God. And so we are not getting a lesser help. We are getting, arguably, a greater help because it is now God's presence within us. Doing a work that he had not yet been doing in his people in this way. We'll return back to the topic of the Holy Spirit towards the end of our passage today. But throughout this passage, as I read it, it's very difficult for me to read it and feel comforted. And Jesus says, do what I command, and, or you don't love me. Or... The one who does what I command loves me, and then the Father will love him, and I will love you. It seems like there's this conditional reality that if we don't do what uh, Jesus commands us, then we don't really love him. And that if we don't really love him and don't really do what he commands us, then he doesn't really love us. That's how we can read this passage, and it can become very troubling to us. But Jesus is telling this Truth. He is teaching these things as the last words to his disciples to comfort them, to give them encouragement, not to beat them up or to give them sort of a works righteousness scenario for them to follow when he leaves. So what are we to make of this passage? What are we to make of even this first verse? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I thought Jesus paid it all. Indeed, he is about to pay it all on the cross just a few hours later. So what Jesus is not talking about here is earning our way to God, being justified by following his commandments. But he's talking about a type of love and the intrinsic relationship between love and obedience. Love and obedience. I'll ask you a question. I do that often at the beginning of a sermon. How do you know if someone loves you? How do you know if someone loves you? 
Perhaps they've told us. But perhaps more than just telling us with words, we understand their love by the actions that they have done, by the way they live their life, by the way we interact with one another. Kind words, a gift, laying aside their concerns to meet yours. Jesus uh, is showing us the greatest example of love, right? That's what we've been talking about for a couple weeks. Washing his disciples' feet, becoming a servant, loving his disciples. It's by his actions that he's showing his love. That's how we all uh, begin to understand who loves us and who does not. When you love somebody or when someone loves you, you act differently towards them. It affects the way we act. Love and obedience are intrinsically tied together, at least the love that Jesus is referring to here. Because there are other types of love and other types of obedience that he doesn't have in mind. Think about this if we just break it down into those two categories, love and obedience. If you have love without obedience, if you have love If you say you have love, if you pledge your love, but then you have no obedience, really that is no love at all. Think of an unfaithful spouse who has made vows to to love and cherish you in health and in sickness, good times and in bad, and rich and in poor. We make vows with specific things tied to them, Promises of obedience, of faithfulness to the love that we are professing. And yet a, a spouse could say they love their, you know, a husband could say he loves his wife. Over and over again, he could even send her cards. But if he doesn't act in a way that is obedient to his vows, if his love doesn't have action, It's really no love at all, is it? Jesus is going to pick up the imagery of being left as orphans and being brought into his house. And so one of the illustrations we ought to have in mind here is the love between a parent and a child. There can be a parent that has an intrinsic love for their child, right? Of course I love my child. But then you see the ways, the numerous ways in which they neglect them. Perhaps even abuse them. Love without faithful obedience is no love at all. We see this even in the church as people think about uh, the relationship to Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, Uh, I've accepted Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. It's this idea that somehow we can divide Jesus into different roles and accept part of his roles, but not the other. But at the heart of that statement that somehow Jesus can be our Savior, but he's not a king who we have to submit to, is to say that we love something else besides the true Jesus. Just like somebody who loves their spouse, but only loves part of their spouse. 
They don't love the person. They love an aspect. And as those who love Jesus, they can't just love some sort of aspect of Jesus. Jesus is a full person, fully God and fully man. The proclamation of the good news is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that because he is Lord, he is able to offer us salvation. To put it another way, love without obedience is no love at all. The Apostle James writes, faith without works is dead. For a body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith apart from works is dead. The idea that we can have faith that has no effect in our lives is really no faith at all. It is the evidence of the thing that is there. The one who truly loves acts a certain way. The one who has faith acts a certain way. Jesus is not calling us to perfection here, but he is calling us to a love that is intrinsically tied to obedience that we all know exists in every relationship we have. Think of even the other side of the equation. A parent loves their child and requires them to do things because of their love. Our kids love to play really close to the street. I don't know why that's such an attractive place to sit in our driveway. And out of love and care and concern for them, we remind them to come back up or go in the backyard. And we tell them those things, not because we are overlords in their life, but because we love them. And so we have commandments, rules to follow. The parents of an older child might set a curfew because they know if they're gone too late, well, they might get into some trouble. Or you might insist on knowing their friends, having phone numbers, contacting their parents. You have these rules in place, these commandments, for the sake of your love for your child. At least at at our best, right? And so this idea of love, it cuts both ways, and it always has commandments, expectations, requirements. All relationships always have these expectations. And so when we read these passages, we ought not to think Jesus is calling us to some sort of mere obedience but an obedience that is rooted in love. He is calling us to have a different motivation for the things that we do. Which brings us to the idea of mere obedience without love. Obedience without love is often merely self-service. I don't know how many of you and your jobs, uh, the reason you do a really good job each day, you go to work and you work as hard as you can, you try to do a good job, it's because you just love your boss. I want him to be so proud of me. I love my boss so much, I'm going to do a good job for him. No, it's usually not why we work hard. Usually we work hard to be compensated. Maybe we've been taught to be a faithful worker. We don't want to have to work this weekend, so we're going to put in extra hours on Thursday and take Friday off. It's not based out of love that we are 
being obedient. But when we think especially about our relationship to Christ and the idea of obedience, if we are doing obedient things without love, that's merely legalism, and it's merely an avenue for us to grow up in our pride and pat ourselves on the back. And yet our assurance of pardon today from Ephesians 2 reminded us that it's not our own doing. What Christ has done for us is not our own doing, so that no one may boast. But obedience without love causes us to boast, to be full of pride. We view our relationship as transactional. I do this, I get this. Think of the Christian life. How many people have heard a message that as long as you live a good life and you do your part, when you get to heaven, God will let you in. That is not the good news of Christianity. There will be nothing in our hands that we can bring before God that says he, we deserve anything from him. If that is our understanding about how we relate to him, we will be sorely mistaken because we will have earned nothing. And at the same time, Christ has called us to obey his commandments. Obedience obedience does not earn us any merit in God's sight. But like obedience of a child to their parent, it can give us great blessing. It can save us from harm. It can keep us on the way. But it does not earn us a standing before God. Because if we are able to earn something by our obedience, if we are able to merit something by obedience, the one whom we are expecting to receive it from, we are actually unable to love. Because we have done these things out of a different motivation, a motivation to get. Obedience without love is often merely self-service. It is done in our own strength. We see obedience as a bargaining chip. If I do this, I will get this. If we think about obedience as a bargaining chip, we will be disappointed in the kingdom of God. We even talk about the ways in which God communicates his grace to us through the preaching of the word, through the administration of the sacraments, by worshiping him on the Lord's day. These are the ways in which God pours out his blessing on us. We are reminded of his grace to us. And yet, merely participating in them is not giving us more bargaining chips to put into our bag for later to cash in. As one commentator said, Instead of seeing them as bargaining chips, we ought to see them as bread. The things that God has given us to strengthen us. That by participating, by obeying, by being obedient children in God's kingdom, we are strengthened and encouraged and nourished and given the things we need to be sustained. But we can participate in those things without love. And it will gain us nothing. Okay, so love and obedience, they are intrinsically tied together. If we love somebody, we will act differently towards them. If we love 
our children. We will do particular things to help them. But perhaps more central to this idea of loving obedience is that there is a change of heart that has to take place. We can't will ourselves to love. We can read these passages and say, Oh, I'm not very obedient, so I guess I don't love Jesus. What am I to do? I don't know about you, but I don't read myself in here and say, Yep, I love Jesus and I follow all of his commandments. I should be good. When I read this passage, I think it's so hard. And yet the only thing he's calling us to is so simple. Jesus isn't calling us to a life of self-flagellation and obedience before him, but one in a loving relationship where it is our joy to participate in following his commands. Jesus wants us to have changed hearts. Our ability to love and obey the words of Jesus is intrinsically tied to our love for him. So how do we grow in our love for him? That we might even be able to think differently, feel differently, to have joy in our obedience, to want to obey his commandments. We quoted this passage last week. It's from 1 John, the same author as John's Gospel. Chapter 4 says, We love because he first loved us. We see God's love displayed to us. When we can see the love that God has for us, that Jesus would pay it all, that he would lay down his life. When we begin to grasp how much we have been loved, it becomes our response to love him in return we love because he first loved us but our passage also gives us a reminder of where this love truly comes from love is brought to us and the commandments are taught to us by this helper by the one whom Jesus and the Father are going to send. Verse 26 says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What are the things we're supposed to do again? Maybe they didn't have it written down quite yet. It's the Holy Spirit that is there to help us, to remind us, and also... To change our hearts. Ezekiel 36, talking about the promise of the new covenant, said this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. New loves by the Spirit. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Careful here at the end, or important here at the end. 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. It is this work of the new covenant, of the Spirit being poured out, that gives us a new heart and the ability to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. He is going to change our affections. He is going to change our motivations. He is going to enable us to love Jesus. And by implication, to follow his commandments. There's nothing we will be able to will in ourselves. Romans chapter 5 reminds us this, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to whom he has given to us. How do we get more love for God? From his spirit pouring it into our hearts. And thinking again of this imagery of children in God's house, Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper who is to come. That the disciples are supposed to wait for. This is why it will be better than when Jesus was there. Because they won't be troubled of heart. They won't continue to doubt and not understand. Instead, the Holy Spirit will be poured out, will enter into them, will change their motivations, give them new loves, and help them to obey. the only hope any of us have. If we, in our weakness, read these passages and we think, I don't know how much I love God, the place we must turn to is first his example of love towards us, but perhaps more centrally, crying out to him to give us his spirit, to change our hard hearts. It is only something that can be wrought by his spirit. Perhaps you have loved ones and friends and coworkers in your life who we know don't love God. What ought we to do about it? Ought we to convince them about how great he is? Well, perhaps that might be a good conversation. But far greater, we need to cry out to God to change their hearts by his spirit. It is only a miraculous work of God that can actually cause us to love him and have any sense of Understanding obedience to his commandments. We must be people who are filled with the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit, crying out for God to renew us day in and day out, to push back against the sin in our lives and to make us new. But remember these words. These words coming to the disciples with their troubled, afraid hearts are to give you comfort. Remember, we aren't meriting our way to be be accepted before Christ. Sometimes we read these passages and we're so beat up by this idea of obedience, we forget that really all Jesus is calling us to do is to love him. 
Think about your own uh, relationships in your life. What you really want is love. True love. That is not merely surface level conversation. Niceties. Not merely obedience to the things that we agreed to. Love and obedience together, faithfulness in love. I want my children to obey me, whether or not they love me. But I want them to obey me because they love me. Because they know the things I've asked them to do are for their good, because it is their joy to do so. So it is with all of our relationships. We don't want people to love us out of obligation or have to keep up some sort of you know, lovable nature. Jesus isn't calling us to some list of commandments to follow. He is calling us to simply love him because he has loved us. There's actually great freedom in that reality. And here is the promise he gives us throughout this passage. The promise is that he will Provide a loving life together. Now, right, he talks about this. I will go to the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He is even the spirit of truth. You know him. He dwells with you. And he will be in you. So God is already dwelling among his people. That's what he's always done throughout history, right? That's all the imagery of, you know, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the garden with God. We have the tabernacle and you have the temple, and that's where God's presence is dwelling with his people. Here Jesus is saying the Spirit is already dwelling with you, but it is going to be in you. He will be with you forever. But not only is just this spiritual sense going to be taking place, Jesus tells us in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Just like the love between God the Father and His Son, this perfect obedience of the Son to the Father out of His great love for Him and for the people whom He was going to save, their love will be like the love between Christ and us and Him and me and all of this interconnected love, the promise of a loving life together with God. Jesus said, as anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to and we will come to him and make our home with him. The promise as Jesus leaves is that it is not forever. The spirit will dwell with you. He will dwell in you and that he will return and that. In his return, he and the Father will bring you in as children to dwell with him forever. This is the comfort he offers to his people. And he ends by saying this, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
You've heard me say I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And, I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. One of the reasons Jesus lives this perfectly obedient life, right? Sinless life, perfect obedience to God the Father, is going to be humiliated, dying on a cross, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Christ's obedience is birthed in love. It is the love that he calls us to as well. He is perfectly loved by the Father. Jesus perfectly loves the Father as well. And Jesus has done what the Father has lovingly commanded him to do so that we too can participate in their love with one another. As we read passages like these, as they cause us trouble in our hearts, remember that they are not meant for us to be beaten up, but instead to encourage us that it is God who is going to be the one to help us. He is sending us a helper to do these things. He loves us dearly, and he's going to help us to love him in return. And he promises that he will come again and we will dwell with him. May we bask in his love. May it have the transforming work in our lives that we need. May it give us comfort in our troubled hearts. May we grow in our love as we cry out to God that he might give us his spirit and enable us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for providing your Holy Spirit as our helper. Lord, we need help. We are so prone to love other things, to love half-heartedly, to merely obey. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to remember what you've said. Give us new hearts and new affections, new motivations, Lord. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot will ourselves to love you anymore. We need your help. May your spirit do that work in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.